uh, bringing my uh, series to Life After Death to a close, and uh, I just want to make uh, some application uh, as we think upon some of the things that we have been talking about, and uh, in particular, the value of reflecting on the life to come. If I were to ask you tonight, what are some of the things that you are looking forward to? I, I wonder what kind of responses I would get. It would depend, I think, somewhat upon our circumstances in life, among which would be um, our age. There might be some here that are looking forward to going to school. There might be some that are looking forward to no longer being in school and uh, to graduate. There might be some that are looking forward to college. Others that are, can't wait to drive. And then there are some that are looking forward to marriage, and we have some people that are counting down the days. And then some married couples are looking forward to having their first child. And then some parents that are looking forward to being grandparents and their, their first grandchild or second grandchild, or in our case, it's going to be our eighth grandchild that is due the end of this month. So there are a lot of different things that we can look forward to. Some people look forward to retirement, and uh, that might be coming close for some of you. Do we look forward to being in the presence of God? Is that something that we really desire? Now, that's kind of a two-edged sword because it has death associated with it, and I don't think too many people really look forward to dying. But uh, if we take that element out and just think about being in the presence of God, is that something to look forward to? I've certainly been around individuals that are elderly and who are suffering, who have physical limitations, and they actually are looking forward to dying. They are saying, Lord, take me. Uh, they want to go home. But some of that can be almost an escapist mentality. Uh, I'm tired of this life. I'm, I'm tired of the miseries. I'm tired of everything that's associated with it. I want out of my present distress and difficulty. It's quite another thing when you're in good health and when you are of sound body uh, to say that to be in the presence of the Lord would be better. But I think that all of us at least know intellectually that it would be better to be in the presence, but emotionally, uh, that's quite another story. So tonight, I, I want to talk about the value of reflecting on being in the presence of God, no matter what our situation in life is, no matter what stage of life we're in, no matter what the circumstances that we are encountering, uh, to reflect on the reality of being in God's presence one day. So the theme is a consideration of how Paul's confident hope in the life to come was a motivating force in living his life in the present. Number one, Paul was not going to give up in spite of the outward and physical difficulties that he was facing in his life and ministry. The Apostle Paul was going to persevere. The Apostle Paul was going to live life to the fullest as long as 
as he lived. And certainly the ministries that he was engaged in were taking their toll. A. The outward and physical difficulties were taking their toll. He said, therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outward man is decaying. Paul was wasting away. There was no denying the physical toll that his body was taking as a result of all the persecutions, hardships, and stresses that he was enduring. The Apostle Paul did not have an easy life by any means. And of course, we have that great passage in the end of Corinthians that tells us about his sufferings, about how he was uh, scourged three times, how he was beaten, how he suffered shipwreck, all of the physical turmoils that came upon the Apostle Paul. We know from church history that Paul walked with a severe limp, that he was just about crippled, probably as a result of the beatings that he had encountered. Um, In addition to that, he had a speech impediment. In addition to that, he had other physical needs, including the fact that he had very bad eyesight. Galatians refers to the fact that the Paul says to the Galatians, if it were possible, you would have given me your very eyes, how much that they loved and appreciated Paul. Uh, it is thought that as an uh, outcome of that Damascus Road experience where uh, he was blinded, that part of that was that from then on, uh, he had very limited eyesight. So here, here is a guy that certainly knows physical suffering, and a lot of it as a result of persecution and his ministry. And it's easy, I think, at some point to say in life, you know, enough is enough. I've paid my dues. I've put my time in. I certainly have done my share. And yet, the Apostle Paul doesn't quit and doesn't give up. He also does not live in denial. He acknowledges that his outward body is decaying. We describe some of the physical difficulties that he had as a result of the persecution, but then I I can't imagine the arthritic issues that, that Paul must have suffered with all those kinds of beatings and, and everything. He must have been in constant pain And he says and acknowledges that his outward body is taking its toll. And maybe your body is taking its toll. Our congregation is gradually growing older. I remember a time in which we didn't have elderly people in our congregation. That time has passed. And uh, I'm quickly becoming one of them. All right? And with age comes certain limitations and certain aches and pains and doctor's visits and things that you've got to put up with and endure. Apostle Paul was aware of them all. However, emotionally and spiritually, Paul is being refreshed daily. Verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart. Why? But though our outward man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day 
by day. So Paul is constantly being refreshed in the midst of his limitations. Number two, the reason that Paul is not giving up and that he is being refreshed daily. Paul is being refreshed by the way in which he is viewing the difficulties that he is facing. The way in which he views these these problems, these limitations, these pains, these persecutions. First, he sees life's difficulties as short-lived for momentary, momentary. He recognizes that life is short. This too will pass. Uh, Paul is able to look beyond what he is experiencing. If you can realize how this is going to come to an end. This afternoon, I enjoyed the afternoon. I took a nap and watched a little bit of the Olympics. And uh, I saw the uh, Russian um, skier. And uh, you could tell that he was really, really laboring. But he was in his home uh, stadium. Uh, the, uh, Putin was there. Uh, people were cheering him on. And he had a rather remarkable finish. Think, coming from, I think, a distant fourth to getting a silver medal. And he obviously strained and exerted and gave his every ounce of strength and collapsed after the finish line. And I'm sure he had in his mind the glory that was going to come and the brevity of this race. It was almost over. Whatever stage in life we are in, life in comparison to eternity is certainly short. Secondly, he sees life difficulties as small. He refers to them as light affliction. I'll say more about that in a moment. And he sees life's difficulties as having value. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So Paul recognizes a value or a worth in buckling under the stresses that he is facing and continuing on. He sees that there is a value even in these sufferings, even in their persecutions. So it is worth it. It is worth it. He doesn't just see them as a burden, although he does see them as afflictions, but he also sees them as an entrance into a unique relationship to God. Fourthly, he sees life's difficulties in comparison to the life to come. That's the key in this passage. If you look at verse 17, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So he says that there is a comparison. But in another sense, they are incomparable. You can't compare them. They are not like an even weight. But when he looks at the future, it far outweighs the present situation. 
And here are the comparisons that he draws. First, the afflictions are momentary. The uh, glory is eternal. Notice verse 17. For momentary, light is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. So this is short. It's, it's momentary. It's a moment. This is eternal. Talking about beyond comparison. What is a moment compared to eternity? Secondly, he refers to them as light afflictions as compared to weighty glory. For our light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. The affliction is light. The glory is weighty. When he says light affliction, we're talking about some pretty serious things that he is encountering, but he sees it in comparison. In comparison to that glory that is to come. So how is Paul refreshed on a daily basis? He says, I am refreshed day by day. How does that happen practically? First, he is refreshed by the daily renewal of his perspective or focus. While we look, while we look, it is his outlook that is the source of his being refreshed. Number two, Paul focuses not on what is physical, but what is spiritual. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. So he's focusing his attention not on the afflictions, not on the persecution, not on the hardships. He's focusing on this eternal weight of glory. He's focusing on the future. I can't tell you how important what we focus on is in life. Um, One of the uh, privileges I had was uh, to care for three maiden aunts that were quite elderly. My one aunt was really an amazing kind of woman. Uh, She ran a plumbing and heating business. She oversaw this business until she was 90 years of age. And then finally, she sold it. Uh, She had such gumption. She had such energy. Uh, She was up for virtually anything. And uh, I remember when she moved into the retirement home, she's volunteering, she's leading Bible studies, She's uh, sitting behind the reception desk. She's doing everything. She just was full of energy. But eventually, she got tired. And eventually, she slowed down. And her focus became narrower and narrower and narrower. Uh, She still watched the news, and she could talk about current events. But her focus narrowed. And as her focus narrowed, and as as she began to pay much more attention to her being in this nursing home, I could just see how more miserable her life became. Now it was about the soup that she had today. And how the soup wasn't very salty. 
And uh, we would uh, go up and uh, we'd visit her, and then we would uh, usually take her out to Olive Garden, her and her sister, because that's where she'd like to go. And uh, they used to love to suck on the onions and uh, just anything that would give them some, some flavor. And, and then life was wonderful. It was the best thing. And then if we stopped by CVS, that was a trip, okay? That was, man, that was better than any vacation you ever took, you know, to go to CVS. It was a matter of perspective. Because life had become so small. It's easy for us to focus on this life, to focus on our aches and pains, to focus on our limitations, and to give undue credence to those things. So he looked at not what was physical, but was spiritual. Three, Paul focuses on that which eventually will come to an end, but on that which is everlasting. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are not seen are temporal, but the things which, uh, excuse me, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. How does one focus one's eye on what can't be seen? I love the imagery there. I look at what I cannot see. How do you do that? How do you look at what you cannot see and ignore what is right before your face? He says, he looks at what he cannot see. Number one, Paul knows that when he dies, he will receive a resurrection body. For we know that the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from on heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, should not be found naked. So Paul focuses on the resurrection. He groans for this new body that is not going to experience pain and hardship and any kind of limitation. He thinks about the glories of not just being free, but a totally different and new kind of existence. Paul longs for the resurrection. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan being hardened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Paul's confidence is placed in God. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Third, Paul derives confidence or courage to live the present life as he focuses upon the life to come. Paul gains courage for he knows that death is better than life. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Picking up on that imagery again. He's looking at what he cannot see. This time, he equates that with faith. Faith is the ability to look at what can't be seen. Hebrews says that uh, the evidence, uh, faith is the evidence of things hoped for. Uh, I just said that wrong. Faith, 
substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things uh, that, that aren't seen. Faith is able to view what is unseen. He says, I walk by faith and not by sight. I'm looking at future realities. Not the present circumstances. He says, while we do that, we're of good courage. He's strengthened by that. Paul's thinking of the persecutions. Paul's thinking of the hardships. Paul's thinking about those things that would bring fear. There are a lot of things in life that can cause us to be fearful. We might have fears financially. We might have physical fears. Uh, We might be facing surgeries. We might be uh, diagnosed with a particular disease. And uh, we might fear, not death in the ultimate sense, we may not fear eternity, but we may fear the process of dying. We might be afraid of what people think. We might be afraid of how we're going to handle a particular situation. There are a plethora of things that can cause us to be fear, but Paul says, I am encouraged. I take courage from this. B, Paul is renewed in his present commitment because he wants to be pleasing to God on the day of judgment. Therefore, also, we have as our ambition. So not only does he have courage, but now also he has an ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. So Paul's desire is, whether he is at home, that means in this body, in this life, uh, uh, or to be absent from this body, to be present with the Lord, in either sense, his ambition, his desire, his goal is to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So in that time, he wants to be found to be pleasing to God. Paul gains courage for he is more concerned with displeasing God than he is in displeasing people. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men But we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. Paul is confident that God knows Paul's hearts. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God. He knows that God knows his ambition. He knows that God knows his heart. He knows that God knows his desire, and he has confidence. And Paul hopes that those to whom he ministers will know his heart also. At the end of verse 11. And I hope that we are made manifest also in your conscience. I hope that I am going to receive your approval. But the very nature of persecution is that he encounters a lot of people that don't give him approval. And then what is most frustrating is these Corinthians, to whom Paul is writing, are expressing their displeasure. They are questioning his commitment, his loyalty, his love for them, and uh, even his motivation on why he serves God. 
Paul says, God knows my heart. God knows my heart. That is a wonderful thing to reflect upon when you feel taken advantage of, when you feel that people don't appreciate what you're doing, when you feel like people don't give you the respect you deserve, or that you haven't been rewarded for all your faithful service. You know, if you're not careful, those things can really become not only weighty, but embittering. We can actually get to the place where we become angered or at least incredibly hurt by what people say and how people respond to us. But if we can replace that with a desire to be found pleasing to God and know that God knows our hearts, God knows our desires, God knows our intent, that we were trying to do what was right, that when sometimes, have you ever been in a situation where you have said something and it just didn't come out right or it wasn't received at all in the way that you intended it? And somebody's offended by what you have said and, and you didn't mean it to be nasty, you didn't mean it to be miserable and you certainly weren't trying to add to their affliction or hardship, but it just isn't well received. God knows our hearts. God knows our hearts. And it's good to remember when people disappoint us, that we'll never be disappointed in him. Focus on the presence of God. And as you do, it's amazing how better soup will taste now. There are bigger issues in life than how much salt is in your soup. And please understand the tenor of which I'm saying that. I certainly, was, I certainly was kind and gracious to my aunt, and I felt for her and her life, and I understand how important that soup was to her, because that's all she had. But people, we have much more than this life. We have the glories of the life to come. You have much more than your job. You have much more even than your health. You have much more than any physical thing that you can look at in this life. You have a future in the presence of God. May he renew us and refresh us by it. Do we have a presentation? Okay, it's on a computer screen, is that? All right. Um, so we don't have this, but we have a 17-inch screen back there that you can push your way and shove your way before and, uh, and watch. And I say it with a, a bit of uh, lightheartedness, but uh, it'd be good to, to be able to see it. Well, let's close in prayer. Our Father, uh, we thank you for your great grace and goodness to us. We thank you for the hope of eternal life. And I pray that that hope would be more and more real to us each and every day. We are thankful for our family. We are thankful for our health. We are thankful for our daily bread, and we're thankful for the many things that bring us joy in this, this life. May that not bring us so much joy that we lose sight of an even greater joy of being in your presence. May we understand that the 
greatest day on this earth is less than the worst day in your presence. Oh, Lord, may we we understand that. And may we take great delight in it. And, Lord, for those that are going through hardships and difficulties, may they be able to look beyond them. May they be able to be strengthened by them. May the weights become just a little bit lighter. May those endless nights become a little bit shorter. May those fears be less frightening. And Lord, uh, may we be renewed on a daily basis as we look to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.